going. We're starting a new series now about the kingdom of God. Seems appropriate because we are in a struggle between two kingdoms and which way will the United States more closely follow? Will it be the, sa- the kingdom of, the, of Satan, of the evil one who has come to kill and steal and destroy? Or will, it be the Satan, uh, or will it be the kingdom of the Lamb, of the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah? And in the Bible, in Matthew 13, Jesus lays out a whole series of parables about the kingdom of God and how it will be advanced in a certain age. And I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13 right now. If you're using one of these Bibles from the chairs, it's page 684. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I did that last night with the group, but I think we'll just pick out a couple of sections. Starting at verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seeds. Some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever hears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, Jesus said, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. He's not talking about money. He's talking about truth and faith. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. And your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jump to verse 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. It's not a secret 
to you and me because we have been living it for centuries. But to the Jews of Galilee on that Sabbath day, it was a mystery, it was a secret that had not been revealed to them. In fact, Jesus had just performed many healings that day, got criticized for healing on the Sabbath, declared himself to be Lord over the Sabbath, Sabbath uh, proclaimed in no uncertain terms that the kingdom of God was upon them, and they were face to face with the true king of the universe. He had just given a prophecy that day of his own crucifixion and his resurrection. You can read that in chapter 12, which will prove once and for all that he is the coming king who makes atonement for the sins of the world. He declared God in that chapter to be his own father and that those who join him and follow him and do the will of God are his true family. After that, beginning of verse chapter 13, he went outside and sitting in a boat on the lake, he began to reveal what the next couple thousand years were going to be all about. That's what chapter 13 is all about in Matthew. It's about the time that you and I live in and, and that has existed since Pentecost. People didn't realize there was going to be such a period of time that Jesus was about to describe to them. It was a mystery left unrevealed in their Old Testament scriptures. That's what a mystery is. It's something that is hidden, not known, until somebody explains it to you or tells you it, then, you, then it's no longer a mystery. Okay, when you go back and you look at the Old Testament prophecies about the end times, you can see that they are a mix of already fulfilled and not yet fulfilled prophecies. You can see prophecies of the coming Messiah, uh, dying a criminal's death, hands and feet pierced, uh, buried in a rich man's tomb, resurrected on the third day. You can see all these were fulfilled just reading the Gospels. You see, Christ is the Lamb of God being sacrificed for our sins. That was predicted hundreds of years before Christ, and it was fulfilled with exact accuracy. What you don't see, though, is the fulfillment of Christ coming back as the Lion of Judah, the Lion of God, bringing final judgment and the end of, to all the wickedness and corruption in the world. We don't see that yet. You don't see the fulfillment of all Israel receiving their Messiah, which is predicted, and becoming spiritually alive in Christ. Those prophecies have not yet been fulfilled. So you have the fulfilled prophecies and the unfulfilled prophecies right next to each other in the same books, in the same verses. Zechariah 9 says that Israel's king was going to come to Jerusalem humbly riding on a donkey. And God would end, and God would end war, establishing peace throughout the whole world. Well, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, but he hasn't established peace yet. Micah 5 predicted that God's ruler would be born in Bethlehem, and he would defend the and he would defend the Israel, Israelites from invaders. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he hasn't yet set up his reign defending Israel from invaders. There is a time gap. There's a time gap between the fulfillment of those prophecies. And that gap is the giant secret 
of the kingdom of God, the giant mystery to Israel. They had no idea what would be happening in this time gap between the humble man riding on a donkey and the fierce king setting everything right again. In fact, they didn't even know there was a time gap. But the gap is not a mystery to us because we've been living it. We live right there in Matthew 13. But you might ask, why, why was there a gap at all? Why does it exist? Why is this big, long gap between these prophecies being fulfilled? Why did that have to happen? Why weren't the prophecies fulfilled in their entirety instead of kind of half now, half later, like a layaway plan at Walmart? <laughs> why wasn't the kingdom of God made manifest with the first coming, the first advent that we're getting ready to celebrate uh, come December of Christ? Very simply, the gap was created and necessary for two reasons. One, because Israel rejected their Messiah. With the coming of Jesus, they rejected him. And you see that in the chapters just before chapter 13. The rejection starts to amp up. Secondly, God's eternal plan was always not to just redeem Israel, but all of the world. Israel was to be a lamp to the whole world of God and be kind of the holders of his revelation and truth. They started falling down on the job and then they rejected the Messiah altogether. So because Israel rejected their king, they were not going to be able to bring the message of the kingdom. You see, all throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus had been clearly shown and demonstrated and proclaimed that he is the king over the kingdom of God. He's the king of the Jews, but he's the king over the kingdom of God, which is the universe. And he is the coming savior, and he is the Messiah predicting the prophecies. Matthew 1 through 12 all, are all about verifying who Jesus is. You can see it. Chapter 1, he was, it, it verifies that he was born of the messianic line, of the line of David, all the way back to Adam, the line of the great King David. Chapter 2, he's affirmed to be the king by the oriental truth seekers, the Magi. Uh, chapter 3, John the Baptist affirms that he is the powerful one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism declares, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It verifies who he is. Chapter 4, he verified as the, king, uh, the true king of the universe by conquering Satan and healing disease and casting out demons. In chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus verifies his own kingship by speaking and teaching as an all-wise king. In chapters 8 through 10, he affirms his kingship by the amazing miracles over the forces of nature, even raising people from the dead, and even as it becomes more and more apparent that he is the powerful king of all the universe, the opposition and rejection of him by the Jews starts to increase and intensify the rejection, the opposition. In fact, that day that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, you know what the Pharisees were doing? Plotting a murder. They were criticizing him for working on the Sabbath. What were they doing? Plotting a murder. Jesus's. We get to chapter 11. 
He finally calls out like the Israelite towns for their rejection and refusal to repent, saying, if, if Sodom and Gomorrah had heard this preaching and had met me, they would have repented. And in chapter 12, he boldly declares that it is by the Spirit of God that he drives out demons so that the kingdom of God is upon you. You can know it. He's saying the king is here, I'm him. He verifies chapters 1 through 12. He is the king of the universe. He's the king over the kingdom of God. So Jesus is verifying his kingship and Israel is increasing their rejection. And by rejecting their king, Israel is essentially putting themselves, follow this, what Israel is doing by rejecting their king, their Messiah, they are putting themselves on the sidelines of redemptive history. They were the center of it. It's all about Israel in, in the Old Testament. Now they're kind of on the sidelines and we got new players on the field. They were called off the field and put on the bench. No longer are they going to be the primary players of bringing the light of God's salvation to the whole world. No longer will they be the ones to represent and proclaim the kingdom of God to the human race. One day, they will believe in their king. I referred to that. That's predicted. It's one of those prophecies still to be fulfilled that Israel will gloriously receive their king and the dry bones... That whole prophecy about dry bones, that's what that's about. When they receive their Messiah, when they receive Jesus. And the dry bones will come to life again in the Spirit of God through Christ. But in the meantime, their sideline have become steadily more secular over time. If you look at the nation of Israel, until most of Israel does not even accept the Old Testament as the Word of God, and Judaism is a kind of a secular religion. So now what? Chapters 1 through 12, now what? So Jesus sits in the boat on the lake in Galilee. And for the first time, he begins to tell about this mysterious gap created by the Jews' rejection of him. He tells about this gap between his first coming to bring forgiveness of sins and his second coming to bring ultimate justice to the world. Jesus opens his mouth and speaks to this massive crowd to unveil the mystery. He's going to open it up. I'm going to show you what's in this mystery, what's in this gap. But the only ones who would really be able to understand it were those who were closest to him. His disciples who had committed their lives to him. And for the rest, the mystery would remain concealed by parables. In private, he explained the parables to his disciples. And they asked him about this. Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he goes, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have is going to be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. So in other words, he's saying to those who put their faith in him and acknowledge him as their true king over all kings and receive him as their coming Messiah, he would explain the meaning of the parables. He would give them insight and knowledge. But for all those who rejected him or only came for the free food, the parables would just seem like mildly interesting stories. But the truth of what he was revealing about the next couple thousand years 
would remain completely unknown to them. To those who had faith, more faith would be given. To those who received truth, more truth would be given. To those who refused faith, they would lose their ability to believe. To those who received their king, more of the kingdom would be revealed. To those who rejected the king, the kingdom would remain hidden. So in parables, in the parables of Matthew 13, Jesus lays out the truth of the time gap in the end times prophecies. This time gap has been noted by biblical scholars and church historians. They call it the great parentheses. This kind of this great parentheses. Really, it's all about Israel. And then we have this parenthetical time. And then Israel comes back into the picture. This great parentheses is what they call the church age. And that's the age you and I live in. And our grandparents and our great-grandparents and many generations before us have been living in this church age. The church age is the period in human history when God's primary way of bringing people into his kingdom is through the work of the church and of his son Jesus. The, the church age is when God works through the church as his primary vehicle to build his kingdom. Throughout the church age, God's kingdom is becoming established in the hearts of more and more and more people. Jesus always knew that he would be rejected. He knew this from the beginning. It wasn't like a mistake. Oops, Israel rejected us. Now what do we do? We need plan B, go die on the cross. You know, it wasn't like that. Let's start this church thing. Jesus always knew that he would be rejected, that he would suffer and he would die for the sins of Israel and for all the rest of the world. He knew there would be a church age, so he called his disciples. As soon as he started his ministry, that's how he started it. He called disciples to start following him around and learning about the kingdom and, and learning about his kingship so that they would be able to become the church and carry the work forward to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he says to Peter, one of those disciples who had affirmed to him, yes, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus turns to him and said, on this rock of truth, what you just spoke, Peter, I will build my church and, I will, and it will advance so forcefully that the gates of hell will not be able to remain standing in its path. It will not prevail. In chapter 13, it is a pivot point in the book of Matthew. It's the point where Jesus shifts from verifying his kingship to the Jews in unveiling the mystery of his kingdom through the church that will come to full realization in the end time. Each parable in this, in this chapter, which is what we're going to go through for the next few weeks in sermons, each parable describes a characteristic of this mysterious period of the kingdom and of kingdom growth called the church age, and what the redemptive activity of God will be like in the world. It's not really a mystery to us, because we've, seen, we've been living it for centuries. It's the reality that we've always known. We've seen it played out. To, to, to us, it's mostly history. I took a class in college called Church History. It was all, all about what's happening in Matthew 13. We can read about it in history books and encyclopedias and on the interwebs. 
But to the crowd standing around Jesus by the lake that Sabbath day, it was a complete unknown. Let me give you a quick overview. The first parable, the parable of the sower. And here Jesus is revealing that the message of the kingdom is going to be spread far and wide. His church will be like the farmer sowing the seed, the message of the kingdom. And some people will have hard hearts and not receive it. Some will receive it at first, but then walk away because of persecution. Some will get excited and and start to grow in the faith, but then uh, get distracted and wander away because of uh, worldliness. And some will wholly embrace it and produce great kingdom fruit. Then he tells the parable of the weeds, and he reveals in that parable that the kingdom of God will grow as more and more people receive the king, but also the kingdom of Satan will grow and grow as more and more people reject the king. And both kingdoms will grow up next to each other. They're both going to gain momentum and strength. And in the end, they will be sorted out. You can see, you know, there ain't... There ain't enough room for two of us in this globe, you know. And so eventually there's going to be a, a conflict, and we know about that uh, from prophecy. In the, in the parables of the mustard seed and yeast, Jesus reveals that the kingdom will start really small, like 12 guys. <laughs> and then it will grow and grow and grow to the point of becoming very large and covering the whole earth. Jesus uses the uh, parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price to explain that the kingdom of God and the redemption that pays your admission to the kingdom of God is worth more than everything this world could ever offer you. It's of exceedingly high value. And then finally, Jesus tells the parable of the net, the fishing net to reveal that final judgment will come upon the earth and Satan and all his wicked devotees will be sorted out and thrown into the blazing uh, furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, leaving nothing but the kingdom of God reigning supreme in righteousness, peace, and joy. Most of this you and I have already witnessed, as I've said. I mean, we need only to read church history to know that the church, as the representative of God's kingdom, started very small. And now is in every corner of the earth. We only need to watch the news to know that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan exist side by side on this planet. We only need to look around us to know that even though the message of the kingdom has been broadcast all over the earth, many are hardened and they reject it. Uh, Many hear but wither under trials and difficulties. Many start out good but then wander away. And some will grab hold and really grow and bear fruit for the kingdom of God. We know that that's true. We've seen that. We've lived it. It isn't a mystery to you and me because we're living it. So here's what we need to do. And this is very short. We need to embrace who we are. I think as what's going wrong with the church In Western civilization, generally, United States in particular, Britain, 70 years ago, that we have forgotten who we are and what our purpose is, and we have not stepped up to it. We need to embrace who we are and step up to the purpose for which we exist in this time. 
And that's something we need to do corporately, but that's something that has to start individually with every single one of us. We need to embrace who we are in the church age, that we are part of this church, part of this redemptive plan. Israel's on the sidelines. Here you are, probably a Gentile. How many, how many are not Jews? Okay, so we, we've had Jews, you know, come. And, but just um, uh, like, like Hebrew, like, um, like uh, by a lot, you know, genetically. And so here you are, Gentile. Believing in Jesus, following the same God that established Israel. And why did God even call you into his fellowship? Yeah, he loves you and he wants to save you, but it ain't all about you. Because there's a lot of, he loves the person next to you too. And he loves that network that he put you in that work world, that neighborhood, that family system. He loves them. And he wants worshipers in his kingdom. He wants joyful, thriving, believing fellowship of a family built, making the entirety of his kingdom. He wants, he wants it full. And he wants it joined with Israel, which will happen. We are the church we are the representation of the kingdom of God in this world until Jesus returns. We are the mouthpiece, <laughs> mouthpiece of God's kingdom <laughs> to proclaim his kingship. We're the mouthpiece. We're the, the voice. And we proclaim his kingship and the salvation that comes with being in the kingdom of God to all who will hear. I mean, ask yourself, why were you born during this age and not during the time of Moses or Joshua or David? Why did God, why did God make you a human, not an angel? Believe me, you're not an angel. <laughs> why did God choose to have you come on the scene during the 20th and 21st centuries? God chose you to be part of his church, not part of Israel, not the angelic hosts, the church, the kingdom representation on planet earth for this age. And you and I have a significant role to play during this time that is described by these parables. We are kingdom people, and more specifically, we're the church. I want you to understand that the kingdom and the church aren't the same. They aren't the same thing. Okay, the kingdom of God is the entire universe. There's nothing that God is not king over. He created everything. Okay? That he is king over all creation. He rules over the earth, believe it or not. He rules over heaven. We get that. And he rules over hell. Satan does not rule over hell. Satan didn't create hell. God did. Wrap your head around that one. Satan didn't create hell, and he doesn't rule over hell. Hell is where Satan will be thrown in the final judgment. That's a place reserved for the devil and his minions. Okay? The despicable Satan and his minions. 
will be thrown into final judgment along with his demons and those who refuse the true king. God rules over hell, not Satan. So God rules over the earth as well. But for now, he does not fully exert his rule until the full amount of wheat has grown up. So the weeds and the wheat, they keep growing. And that's what we see. That's what we see in our world. We see weeds, 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 because that's what gets put in the media. But there's a lot of wheat too. A lot of wheat. And you have to dig a little deeper to see what's going on. I keep coming to church because I read this stuff about how the, the church is the, in China now is the fastest growing part of our church, of the church of God, where it's illegal of all places. Iran, Muslim countries, turning to Jesus like crazy. I'm going to talk more about that stuff when we get into the Advent season because I'm going to talk about the second Advent and the coming of Christ and uh, the Antichrist and the rapture and, and the tribulation and, uh, and how uh, when, the, when the church is gone and that witness is gone, it's going to be kind of like a Muslim in Iran how are they going to hear about Jesus? Angels, dreams, because that's happening now. Anyway, I got off my notes. For now, he doesn't fully exert his rule until the full number of people freely and willingly choose to come under his kingship. So for now, God's kingdom on earth is only represented. It's not fully realized, but it's represented. And that's you and me. We're the ambassadors. We're the representation of the kingdom of God on a planet that so far seems mostly ruled by Satan. Okay? We are the mediators. It's mediated by the church. The, the church is that special portion of God's kingdom that spreads the message of the kingdom, recruits citizens for the kingdom, forms disciples of the king, and sends them out to, to grow the kingdom even more. That's our task. And we are saved and called not only for our own salvation, not only for our own spiritual bliss and eternal assurance of, of, uh, of salvation, but also we are called to propagate the kingdom of God everywhere by bringing people into the family of God. If you're a child of the king, born again into the kingdom of God and the family of God, then you are part of the special portion of God's kingdom that has been given a mission to fulfill on this earth. You don't exist on this earth just to build a family and have a nice life. You exist in this age to be a witness and an ambassador for the kingdom. You exist in this life to proclaim the name of the king and his kingship over all there is. And when you realize what all this is about, then the question you need to answer for yourself is simply, will I embrace who I truly am and step up to my purpose in this age? Would you stand with me and let's pray. Band, you can come on up. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us and calling us to be your own. 
looking at church history and, and where we're at in this stage of it, it's pretty intimidating and awe-inspiring to think that we're living in an age where so much prophecy is, is coming to be answered, coming to be fulfilled, and the wheat has grown so tall, or the weeds have grown so tall, and little or less are your church. And we don't feel up to that, Lord. I don't feel up to that task. But like your apostle said, greater is he that is in thee than he that is in the world. Greater is that germ of, of wheat that grows inside of you than the, all the weeds that are growing up tall. Oh, Jesus, help us not to shrink back in fear, but to step forward in faith. Help us, Lord, to embrace who we are, that we were born for such a time as this. We were born for this age, to live in this time in, in redemptive history for a reason. And we wish it were more comfortable and comforting. But that, that comes from within, that comes from the spirit within. And we thank you for it. I pray that you will bless my brothers and sisters and help them say yes to the question. Will I embrace who I truly am? Will I step up to my purpose? Will I live it out? Matthew 13 to the fullest. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.